welcome to Health Matters, Sonoma's weekly program devoted to health and well-being. Each week through interviews, editorials, and listener participation, we will explore topics and issues of contemporary medicine and its relationship to the lifestyles of our community. Our goal is to provide you with information and resources to help you achieve and maintain what you deserve, a happy, healthy, and productive life. I'm your host, Dr. Ned Hoke, a veteran in natural methods healthcare, speaking with you today from Sonoma Valley, California. We're here each Wednesday at this time for an hour of health topic digestion and discussion. Please stay with us. And welcome back to Health Matters. Thank you for joining us again this lovely, uh, not rainy, but still charming day in Sonoma Valley. Today I'm joined again by one of our erstwhile hosts and a uh, f- former partner for the full-time partner for this program. Welcome, uh, Adam Lehman. Greetings, everybody. Nice to be back on the air here and with my old buddy, Ned. And, and without, uh, well, I won't go there, but it, uh, Adam is, is, is a really an important part of the show because today we're having the real, I think, a very high privilege of getting a chance to both visit with uh, Dr. Thomas Cowan, who's written a really exciting book, exciting to me, and I think exciting to Adam as well, a book called Human Heart, Cosmic Heart, A Doctor's Quest to Understand, Treat, and Prevent Cardiovascular Disease. Um, as soon as I, I, had, I had listened to Dr. Cowan maybe four or five years ago give a talk on why the heart wasn't a pump and how that mattered in terms of cardiovascular well-being and, and illness and disease and so on. And I was fascinated at the time, but I didn't have a lot to hang it on. And I, now I have a ch- when I saw this book coming out, I had a chance to uh, get more details on that particular topic. And along came this book from the publisher, thank you very much, Chelsea Green, in uh, Vermont, or New Hampshire. And we, we've, uh, Adam and I have been you know, luxuriating over the, the, the teaching that uh, Dr. Cowan gives us, and we hope that today that you're, you, the listener, will be able to uh, take, join in with us in terms of this exploration of what Dr. Cowan has to share with us. And some of this is really radical information. So, uh, Adam, Maybe you could say a word or two about what you found that was at least somewhat revolutionary to you or something that either confirmed something that you already had a good feeling about, but that he added a little something to it. Can you say something about that? Oh, my. Well, first of all, I want to thank you for just turning me on to the book because uh, it, it definitely there, there's it's a little book, right. but there is so much in there and uh, it, and it goes through you know starting with just all of this sort of mathematical scientific anatomy physiology things that just turns everything you thought you do on its head right off the bat and then proceeds to progress through um the biochemistry of it all and and then going into the cosmic heart part so, I mean, it was just incredibly rich for the entire volume. That's what I felt. I, I, didn't, yeah. I, I didn't feel like I, I, didn't, I didn't want to put it down anywhere. Yeah. I mean, that was, it was that kind of a book. Yet I also feel like I have to go back and reread it about three or four more times because <laughs> it's, it's that right. d- dense with thought-provoking material. 
Well, as, as, as Dr. Cowan reports, he's somebody that, as a, as a young basketball player in suburban Detroit, uh, he was somebody that had a heart issue. He had a heart racing problem that he couldn't manage. He then later had a heart issue that then pre- 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 uh, pre- uh, prevented him from going to Ghana in the Peace Corps, and then later he was able to step around that and go to Swaziland. Uh, and, but he, he's somebody who has a very direct and personal experience of heart rhythm, rhythmic difficulties, and so he has an immediate uh, need for, him, for himself to that topic. And, and, then, and then he also came from a family of dentists. His grandfather was a dentist, his father was a dentist, and his, he reports in the book that he, it was always assumed that Tom was going to be a doctor. You know, from his family, and uh, and so, but he was also a resistor. He wasn't gonna, you know, and and he was. Uh, they said he they, he was just a right. So he ran off and joined the Peace Corps right. and did all that other kind of stuff. Right. But in the end, in the end, but decided he still wanted to learn. You know, right uh, about his own issue and wasn't satisfied with the uh, the current paradigm, and so um, right. Well, of course, it was interesting. If you remember, he said there he was in Swaziland, and this guy—he's the only white man in a, fifty miles. And he's this guy, other guy, and he has a book. He hands him a book about Rudolf Steiner. Hands him some books about Rudolf Steiner, and and uh, uh, Tom just takes to it like a duck to water. He just this right. is this. He says Rudolf Steiner gave him some. Here's our here's our guest. Nope. Welcome to Health Matters. Thank you for joining us. Are you there? There we go. There we go. Are you here now? Yeah, this is Dr. Cowan. Dr. Cowan, welcome. How you doing? Hey, pretty good. Well, we've been just celebrating your book. We've been saying that the human heart, cosmic heart, is one of the more enchanting and exciting texts that we've read for quite a long time. So thank you so much for joining us, and thank you for writing this interesting book. Thank you. So who... who who do you mean when you say we? Ah, the royal we. Well, I'm Ned Hoke, and I'm an oral medical doctor, and we met, you and I met at the Calistoga Institute, maybe however long ago that was, five years ago maybe. Oh, yeah. And, right. t- and today I'm joined, we're, we are joined by Adam Lehman, who's a kinesiologist and a practitioner of heart math here in Sonoma Valley, which is we also partner in our office. So uh, that's who we is. Oh, I got it. Okay. Hi there. Hi, what's your name again? Adam, Adam Lehman. Hi, Tom. Nice to meet you. Likewise, yeah, Ned Ned, uh, Ned showed me your book, and I got right into it and just ate it up and just was fascinated by uh, so much of what you wrote in there. And so um, Ned was gracious enough to invite me uh, to participate in the show, as I used to do on a regular basis. Good. So you're a heart math guy? I am a heart math practitioner and trainer, as well as a kinesiologist and um, all that kind of stuff, yes. So you, you obviously know about heart rate variability and all that. I do. I Absolutely. So I was glad to see you mention that and, and, and a number of other things in the book. So, about the ECT. Yeah. So, okay. so anyway... Um, we 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 it, it's hard to know there's so much in this book it's hard to know kind of how to bite into it in terms of to to our audience's best in other words, I can cel- I can celebrate it but but for our audience's best benefit one of the principal things that you do talk about is you talk about the heart is not a pump and how 
that you know uh, William Harvey in 1628 laid that down and said that this was a important sort of principle of the whole the way everything worked and how vitalism kind of went away at that point. So. Uh, and then the cosmic card, you sort of bring us back to a sort of a, a form of vitalism, I guess you might say, with your vortices discussion and vertical energies and structured water and, and those kinds of things. So, uh, Tom, I don't, uh, we, I think we want to probably start with having you kind of give us some, some just some basic data about what a heart attack is and what why a heart why a pump is not a why a heart is not a pump. We want to we want to give us some, some space into those just sort of simple facts as you describe them in the book, and then we want to be able to you know take some time to really luxuriate a little bit into some of the 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 the, 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 the sort of larger and meta, even metaphysical discussions that we have in, in the cosmic heart side of the, the conversation. So that's a that's a great big palette to kind of go to, but that's kind of what our intention is for today. Okay. All right. So, go ahead, uh, Adam. Well, so just in terms of that aspect of the, the heart is not a pump. Um, so are we, are, just to be clear, Yeah. We're, we're on now, is that right? We are. Okay. So we watch are, your language. Yeah, we are live. <laughs> so, um, so when the heart is, is, in that aspect of heart is not a pump, and speaking about, uh, you know how the blood actually stops when it gets to the capillary level, and so this the common thought that the heart actually pushes the blood all the way through the body and then back again. Can you just say a little bit about why you don't think that that's even possible? Right. Okay. Uh, I'd say before I go into that, I just want to uh, just mention that. One of the things that has happened as a result of the book was we formed a, a website called humanheartcosmicheart.com. Wonderful. And I would hope if people, I mean, my intention is always to not have people believe me, but they can hear me out and then they can check it out for themselves. So the reason I say that with regard to the heart is not a pump is there are two articles in particular on my website. One is by a mechanical engineer uh, named Ralph Marinelli, who wrote an article in a some sort of peer-reviewed journal called "The Heart Is Not a Pump," and it's a very you know technical mechanical view uh, of what I'm talking about. And another article is I can't remember the exact name of it. The heart is an impedance device or something is written by an anesthesiologist who are the people who deal mostly with, you know, flow dynamics and, you know, basically asleep people and they have to keep their heart going. So uh, if people want more technical details than I probably will talk about today, that's where to go. Good. Now, to answer your question, you know, this is sort of like starting with the opposite, which is, so if you look at the circulation as a whole, what you see is this approximately, you know, one-pound organ with a variable thickness of the left ventricular wall, meaning it's some layers about eight layers of muscle thick, and in some layers, some places, it's about one layer thick. And so then you have, it comes out of the left ventricle, or the blood vessel, in an arch, which is called the aortic arch, and then it goes into arteries and then arterioles 
and then capillaries, and then venules, and then veins. So that's the circuit. And the, if, you know, there's various ways to look at the, the volume of the blood. One is if you laid the blood vessels end to end, it would circle the earth about three times, which is a lot. Right. On the other hand, if you put it in, a para, in, in parallel, not in series, you could lay the blood vessels out approximately a size of a football field. So that's another way of looking at it. Either way, there's a lot of volume in the capillaries compared to the size of the heart. So then you're talking about taking very viscous fluid, which is the blood, very sticky, and it has stuff floating in it, meaning red blood cells, white blood cells, platelets, etc. And what we're saying, what William Harvey in 1628 came up with, was that this uh, this thin-walled organ in some places pushes. And so just to be clear what I mean by a pump, I mean a pressure propulsion device that the force is generated by the squeezing of the muscular left ventricular walls. Right. That's what I mean. Right. So we're saying, and not we, that conventional theory is this muscular wall contracts and it pushes this sticky fluid essentially all the way over a football field. And then what you were referring to is if you do a flow diagram, what you see is the, heart, the blood is moving the fastest when it exits the heart and, interestingly, when it enters the heart. And then it slows down and slows down until it gets to the capillaries where it has to do a little uh, shimmy kind of forward and back in order to exchange gases and food, et cetera. And so it basically stops there, and then it gets going again. And the analogy that I give to people, it's like getting on a bus from San Francisco to New York, and the bus stops in St. Louis. And as I tell people, if the, engine does, if the bus doesn't have an engine in St. Louis, I'm not getting on the bus. <laughs> because I'm not, I don't know how it's going to go from stopped Right. To New York. And that what that tells you is the the motive for movement must be at the capillaries, not at the heart. Because anyways, at the heart it's already going fast and it doesn't speed up. So what happened that was pushing the blood at the heart? The answer is actually nothing. So and anyways, to to think you can push that hard to to go all the way in that circuit, whether it's series or parallel or whatever, stop halfway and then get going again, is, as Ralph said, not an elegant theory. <laughs> right. Now, the thing about it that's interesting is it even gets worse, because if you look at what happens in the aortic arch, so I would have your listeners, the analogy here is you take a, a spigot off your house, and then you attach a flexible arch-shaped tube, garden hose, off the spigot. And then you turn it on as fast as you can, as hard as, you know, turn on the spigot, right. and water comes rushing out, and then ask yourself the question, what would happen to the arch when the water is moving the fastest? And it's obvious, I could make you guess, but the, the hose would straighten out. Right. Now, interestingly, and anybody who goes to a cath lab, 
you can see this. I used to work in a cath lab in medical school or before, and I saw this over and over again. At systole, which is maximum push, the arch bends in. In other words, it makes a more acute angle, which makes no sense at all. It's like, uh, it's like putting on the spigot and the arch gets bigger, uh, not narrower, so to speak. Right. And that, that can't be. You can't push and have essentially it act like a suction device. So essentially what that tells you is there's no push going on here. What's happening in the heart is it's literally stopping the blood, organizing the blood into a vortex, which was first uh, mentioned by Leonardo da Vinci based on making models of animal hearts and suspending grass seeds in them. It's now been confirmed at Johns Hopkins and other places. <coughs> Sorry. And again, I have those articles on the vortex created in the heart on my website. Right. So if you can imagine what happens, the blood comes in through the, through the, uh, the veins, the bigger veins. And by the way, the reason the blood gets faster and faster as it goes towards the heart is the same principle as if you have a watershed like a wetlands and then you narrow it down into a smaller, narrower and narrower river, the water in the river will go faster and faster just based on what's called Bernoulli's principle. You squeeze the water, it goes faster. That's what makes the water move faster as it goes up the uh, venous tree. Then it gets to the heart, the heart stops the blood, it acts like what, what you could say is a hydraulic ram, so, which then builds up negative pressure on the far side of the gate and positive pressure on the near side in the ventricle. When the pressure differential is enough, the gate opens, the, the heart twists, so it creates this vortex, and through a suction action, the uh, aortic arch is bend, bent in, and the blood is organized so that, because of the suction and uh, vortex, so that the heavy elements go down the, the center, the central axis, meaning the red blood cells, and it gets lighter and lighter as you go to the periphery. And that's exactly how it works. Hmm. Simple as that. And you know, in the book, you get you go into all, some amazing stuff about uh, the the geometry of it all and how the structure of the heart itself accounts for where where it's located. And you know, of course, that's way beyond anything we can really get into here too much. Um, and, but it, I would just invite our listeners to to explore that because it, it, it's. It was just fascinating material, at least to me. Um, yeah. Well, and, and also the does the is the whole issue of the vortices. Are you seeing that as 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 a entirely physical phenomenon, or is is there some of the sort of metaphysical part of the whole dynamic of this, or somehow then expressed in the vortices issue? Right, that's a great question. And so the 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 tragedy of this whole thing is if Harvey was right and all we have here is a mechanical pushing device, then 
you know, fair enough, we've got a mechanistic model of life, and, you know, like, whatever. Good, good luck with that. Yeah. Right. <laughs> good luck with that. Yeah. The reality is, that whole thing is, you know, basically nonsense. And when you see what it does, and then you start exploring vortexes, then, uh, and again, my, if, if you could say, so what is my role in this? My role is to combat materialism. Right. That's my role. Good. And I do it not by saying, oh, we should all believe in fairies and ghosts. Maybe we should. But, yeah. um, but to say, if you look at just the physiology and the anatomy, you will find something completely different than you thought you were going to find. Great. And if you understand, so what happens? It creates a vortex, which then uh, the vortex creates this electromagnetic field that's shaped like a big donut around the human being, a sort of like an aura. And there's nothing, there's nothing like strange about this science. You can actually measure the electromagnetic field that, that is, is created through this high-speed vortex. And what, that, what happens because of that is the, the heart, like a conductor of a symphony, can essentially organize the rest of the body, the rest of the organs, into a quantum cohesive whole. That's a, that's, a, and that's a beautiful phrase and a place we, we need to just stop for just a minute, Tom. We have to do a public service break. I hope you'll stay with us. And our listeners, we're talking to uh, Dr. Thomas Cowan and his new book, Human Heart, Cosmic Heart, A Doctor's Quest to Understand, Treat, and Prevent Cardiovascular Disease. Please stay with us. We'll be back with you in just a moment. Events happening at Sonoma State Historic Park for January 2017. Our seasonal marshland program at the park returns. We will be having this on Saturday, January 7th and 28th from noon to 3. Look for us along the bike path near the Vallejo home. Don't forget the Christmas bird count for kids on Saturday, January 14th starting at 9 a.m. at the barracks. Did you know we have black bear living in Sonoma County? Come out and find more information about this at our Bear at the Barracks lecture on Thursday, January 19th at 6.30 p.m. Remember, our campfire program will be on Saturday, January 21st at 5 p.m. Come out for a fun time. Volunteer opportunities exist at all California state parks. For more information, call 707-939-2149. Programming for KSVY is brought to you in part by Tina Schoen, Broker Associate Sotheby's, Body Best Collision Center, Krista Granton Insurance Services, and Sonoma Hills Retirement Community. And welcome back to Health Matters, Dr. Ned Hoke and uh, Adam Lehman uh, joining today with Dr. Thomas Cowan. And we're talking about the contents of his book called Human Heart, Cosmic Heart, A Doctor's Quest to Understand, Treat, and Prevent Cardiovascular Disease. So, uh, Tom, we were just... uh, uh, we just did a nice piece there about the vortices and how that was uh, one of the, one of your like I say your job is to is to uh, challenge materialism and I think that 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 is spread throughout your book in all kinds of different ways and it's, it's and for me it's part of the beauty of the book in, in that you take that on so directly as you do and of course you are involved with the Weston Price Foundation and you are um, uh, an advocate of, uh, of of some things that are should we say, not exactly mainstream. Um, just before we, without going very far into it, 
How does the mainstream respond to you? In 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 a, in a, in, is there any kind of a very brief way you can talk about how the mainstream is responding to your uh, claims in this book? Is there sort of a simple thing to say about that at all? Uh, I mean, I haven't had any response that I know of yet. <laughs> uh-huh. Okay, okay. Well, fair fair answer. So, go ahead, Adam. Uh, you, you were mentioning about uh, the vortices generating the electromagnetic field that's measurable outside the heart. And, of course, this is, you know, where heart bath has done a bunch of studying and, and work. Um, yeah. And although they, they talk about it more in terms of the electromagnetic field being generated by the electrical aspects of the heart doing what it does, beating, um, and but that that uh, electromagnetic field is then also a carrier of information that is felt and and communicated between hearts that are in proximity and potentially even beyond. So just wondering. Yes, I would agree. I, I mean, the, the question of where this field originates from is complicated. I don't know that it's just the vortex, and I don't know that it's just the electrical activity. I think it's, it's a dynamic, uh, complex phenomena that has to do with the whole sort of uh, liquid, crystalline structure of our body. I would just say it like that. Which sounds to me like you're getting into the whole living matrix concept of the connective tissue and how that actually is a intracellular light speed communication network. Yeah, something like that. And in particular, uh, you know, as I was explaining to somebody today, uh, I don't know why this is my destiny in life, but it is. Uh, the more things I investigate into what's commonly thought of as, as how we should think about life, the more I realize that everything I think I know is wrong. <laughs> and so he, in this case, I'm specifically talking about we are all taught that the cell, the basic unit of life, is a lipid membrane-bound bag of water that's controlled by uh, proteins and DNA in the nucleus and proteins in the cytoplasm. The, the first thing that's wrong about that is there is no water in the cell. The, the, there is water, or H2O, but it's not liquid water. It's crystalline gel water, like I explained in the book, and that changes everything because it turns out that the configuration of the water actually determines the activity of the protein and, in, to a large degree, determines which genes will be expressed, how they'll be expressed, and even rearranges the DNA depending on some other kind of wisdom or consciousness that's carried through the water. And it's that creation of that electromagnetic field in the, wa in the cells of the water, it's in the cells through this crystal state of water that's you know, cycling through a vortex that is my best guess as to what creates this electromagnetic field. Hmm. But that's a mouthful, and I don't know that I can prove it in the next five minutes. Right, and that's fine. <laughs> and that, you know, I mean, there's so much, you know, the, the Bruce Lipton 
biology of consciousness aspect of things and structured water and all of those different things all kind of combine in with what you're saying there. Um, and, and, and part of, you know, the other aspect and something you talk a lot about in the book, um, and because you mentioned right before the break about how the heart getting into basically a coherent state with all the other organs and cells of the body. And this is where sort of the parasympathetic and sympathetic nervous systems being at play, and you, you talk a lot about that as what the real underlying aspects of, you know, uh, why a person actually gets a heart attack is. And the heart rate variability factor that um, we, you know, use a lot in heart math is is based a lot on this coordinated aspect of the sympathetic nervous system, which speeds things up, and the parasympathetic nervous system that slows things down, keeping a balance. As and, and when that balance gets thrown off, that's what really sets up the environment for a person uh, potentially having a heart attack. Right. Which, you know, the, the interesting thing about what you just said is, A, it's I think well documented, you know, over 90% of the people prior to having a heart attack have a, a documented decrease in their parasympathetic tone. So that's one of the ways it's documented. It's also documented through the fact that one of the primary interventions in cardiology is beta blockers, which is basically blocking the sympathetic nervous system. So they're not unaware of this. But now here comes the interesting part. If you ask, you know, normal cardiology or internists or doctors or just a guy on the street, why does somebody have a heart attack? They say because you have a blocked artery. So it has nothing to do with any autonomic nervous system or coherence or water or anything. It's just simple physical mechanics. Uh, you have a blocked artery, the blood can't get through. And so then you have a heart attack. It has nothing to do with these beta blockers, which are, you know, known to impact this whole system. Uh, so that, the, the second part of the book was combating that myth, which is the myth that that's why people have heart attacks, because that's fundamentally what it is. It's just a myth. Right. And, and you, 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 you say it in different ways and kind of quietly, but it, you, one wonders is, is if this myth isn't supported by the, you know, the, the desire of the pharmaceutical industry to kind of maintain this myth. And, and I, there's probably not much to say about that other than, yeah, you know, uh, but is, it, is, is there, I mean, I, I went to medical school at UCSF in, in sometimes, and, and I'm, and I, and I, I have to, I have to wonder sometimes if, if the the physiology that I study there or the, the anatomy that I study there, if if today, that anybody is thinking the way you're thinking. Uh, I don't know. Okay. <laughs> All right. Fair. Well, they they might be thinking that way, but whether, I mean, models models don't change easily. Right. Yeah. Now, now you yeah, do. I I don't know what they're thinking at UCSF. I I don't right. have any contact with them. Right. So. You, you say, you say um, and I'm reading just your, your writing now, you say any accurate theory of the cause of myocardial infarction must account for the risk factors most associated with heart disease being male, having diabetes, smoking cigarettes, 
chronic psychological emotional stress none of these risk factors is directly linked to pathology of the coronary arteries so right. you're you're setting us up for understanding your sympathetic parasympathetic discussion so let's let's really give our our listeners some meat on that particular topic because you you do such a good job with that in the book uh Tell me again what, what, what the question is or what you want me to address. Well, the, 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 what is, what is the, the word I'm looking for? You, you say the, there, there's the thrombogenic reason for, for the heart attack, and then there's the myogenic reason for the heart attack. So I'm, I was asking you basically to briefly go through the steps of that, and, and, and you have, you've talked about the, 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 some of that in terms of the thrombogenic part a little bit, but talk about... That how how significantly different those two etiologies really are, and kind of how you come on the, the myogenic side. Right. So let me let me just spend a minute refuting the thrombogenic. The thrombogenic means you get plaque, the blood can't get through, and then you have a heart attack. Right. So, for, you know, one one thing you can say is you could look at at uh, for instance autopsies of people who have accidental deaths. Turns out 40% of them have at least one significant blocked artery, yet they never had symptoms. Right. If you do, uh, you know, th that's, that's accidental death. If you do routine autopsies on 50-year-olds, over 70% of a blocked artery, but no heart disease. Uh, when you actually measure how many people have acute uh, who have acute MIs, heart attacks, have a blockage, you get different numbers. So one, one large catheterization study said in the first 24 hours, 26% have a blocked artery. If you do the catheterization in three days, 37%. If you do it at seven days after the MI, you have 42%. That suggests that the blockage is a secondary effect of having a heart attack. And before they have a heart attack, at most, 26 to 36 percent have a blockage, which then immediately begs the question, what happened to the other 70 percent? <laughs> right. Why did they have a heart attack? We're told that that's the only way you have a heart attack. Um, but it's obviously not true. Here's an autopsy study of over 100,000. Again, these are all on my, my website or a website called heartattacknew.com guy named Baroldi, an Italian pathologist, did autopsies for 40 years on people who died of heart attacks, said 41% had a, one significant blockage, which is about the same percentage as people with accidental deaths. In other words, hardly any more people who died of heart attacks have a significant stenosis or blockage than just guys who die of a car accident. So, And then you combine that with you know, studies of coronary artery disease bypass, where they fix it by doing a bypass. So here we have one five-year survival, 82%, versus no bypass, 83%. So it didn't do anything. And there's another study from the 80s. Bypass surgery does not prevent MIs. The bypass surgery doesn't increase survival benefits. So. It doesn't look like fixing the artery by bypassing it or stenting it or angioplasty significantly changes the mortality or 
even whether you're going to have another heart attack. Right. So then gets to your question, so what does? So what I say is there's three reasons. One, you can have a blockage, and particularly there's a certain area, the left, the proximal left anterior descending artery for those, those of you who want to be technical about it. That's a bad place to have a blockage, and that can cause trouble. So that's, that's one factor. Another factor is all people have collateral circulation, which means they have, it's like a whole watershed of blood vessels, not these three major arteries. And, you know, the way I put it is the body is not so stupid to put all its eggs in those three baskets. It, it has a redundant blood supply, so if there's trouble in one area, it just bypasses it. Right. And the third area, which is the one you're referring to, is the balance of the autonomic nervous system. So that's the sympathetic, which is fight or flight and stress, versus the parasympathetic, which is rest, digest, life is good. And... When you do heart rate variability, you see that oh, well over 90% of people who have a heart attack have a reduced parasympathetic tone in the weeks and months and days leading up to the event. This can be caused by bad diet, stress, diabetes, high blood pressure, certain uh, pharmaceutical drugs, and other things. Uh, so here's the sequence of events that causes a heart attack. You have decreased parasympathetic tone. Then you have a stress, which increases your sympathetic tone, which would be normal except that you have a decreased parasympathetic tone to start with. So the next thing that happens is you have what's called a glycolytic shift where you, start, you go from making energy in the mitochondria with respiration you start fermenting fuel in the cytoplasm, which is called glycolysis or fermentation. Right. This happens in the leg when you run out of energy or you run out of oxygen. You start uh, fermenting fuel. You build up lactic acid. That's the byproduct of fermentation. The lactic acid gives you cramps and pain, and your leg stops moving because it freezes up. The same thing happens in the heart. You build up lactic acid. That causes pain. We call that angina. But then the difference is your heart can't stop like your leg or your spleen. So you keep building up this lactic acid. Then the tissue becomes more and more acidic. The calcium can't get into the cells, so the cells stop being able to contract. That puts sheer pressure on the arteries embedded in the, that tissue, which causes little clots and pieces to break off. And then it keeps going because you don't do anything about it. And the lactic acid acidifies the tissue, which causes uh, necrosis or breakdown of the cells. And that's what we call a heart attack. Okay. It's very simple and straightforward. Now, just for our listeners' benefit, it's, it's one thing to sort of talk about theoretically the parasympathetic sympathetic uh, environment. So is there any, what are the sort of traditional markers should our looking, to, to our, our listeners who are not, diabet not diabetics, not necessarily people who themselves feel just crushed and overwhelmed with stress, 
what might they might our the our average citizen there who's reasonably healthy? What might they look for to sort of get a sense of their parasympathetic sympathetic balance vis-a-vis their cardiac situation? Is there any kind of ways that they can monitor themselves so that they are stay on the on the on the warm side of that street rather than getting into trouble? Is there anything anything that you could say that would be simple about that? And the best thing for that is a. Uh, uh, you know, your at-home heart rate variability devices. Which really? Which the heart math has. Which produced. is what heart math offers, and, and as well as giving you um, exercises to do things to actually increase your parasympathetic tone by generating coherence. Exactly. So uh, tell, me, tell us, Tom, have you been using the heart math work at all yourself in your own practice? A little bit. I You know, I did it for myself for... For months until I actually, it sounds a little weird, but I, I could shut on, I could turn on my coherence parasympathetic at, at will, basically. Mm-hmm. Right. So then I said, oh, that's enough of that. I know how to do it now. Right. Well, uh, that's what happens as you practice it. Then <laughs> that's the general yeah. idea, though. <laughs> general idea. Yeah. So I, I do do that, and uh, but I, I get lazy about it, and so I just, I, you know, I, I talk about this medicine in the book, which is a, uh, you know, a plant medicine, and it, it has a uh, hormone that we actually make in our adrenal cortex called wabain, and that, A, supports the parasympathetic nervous system and converts the lactic acid into pyruvate, which is a fuel. So it converts the poison into a fuel and breaks this whole cycle. But... And that's the G stroganoff. In telling people to do the heart mass, you know, I think they call it EM2 device, and figure out how to get coherence because that is a diagnostic and therapeutic tool for gaining control over your autonomic nervous system balance. So when I was reading your material about the, the stropanthin, and you said about how this is only available by prescription in Germany and there's some kind of an extract coming out of Brazil, um, so that took me to Google Scholar. I did find a 2015 article that does talk about the differentiation between the stropanthin and digitalis in terms of the uh, the um, the action of uh, uh, cardiotonic steroids. And it does say that the stropanthin is uh, is different in that it act, that it activates um, myocardial metabolism. Is that your understanding as well? Yeah, there's diff- uh, huge differences between. Uh, Wabain or Strophanthus and uh, Digitalis or Digoxin. Uh, the best place for anybody interested in the minutiae of that, there is an article again on my website called Wabain, the Insulin of the Heart. Uh, the basic difference is Wabain is water-soluble, Digitalis is fat-soluble. Right. Wabain supports the parasympathetic nervous system and Digitalis doesn't. And wabain converts lactic acid into pyruvate, and digitalis doesn't. And the final main difference is, even though uh, this is a very heretical statement, because one of the greatest achievements of modern science and biology and medicine was the discovery of the sodium-potassium pump. Right. All right? That's, that Nobel Prizes, big, I don't know how time. many were given for this. Big time. It's proved the membrane theory of existence. It's the reason why there's uh, the cells are charged. Basically, this pump pumps the sodium out, 
and the potassium in, and all these uh, cardiac glycosides, they work on the sodium-potassium pump. Wabaine is a, a stimulator of it at very low doses. Digitalis is an inhibitor of it. Uh-huh. Uh, so that's another difference. But okay. I'm here to tell you the sodium-potassium pump is basically a uh, urban myth. <laughs> well, Tom, hold that thought for just one more minute. We need to take one last break. Please stay with us. We'll be back with you in just a moment. Programming for KSVY is brought to you in part by Tina Schoen, Broker Associate, Sotheby's, Krista Granton Insurance Services, Body Best Collision Center, and Sonoma Hills Retirement Community. This Health Moment is brought to you in part by Sonoma Valley Hospital. Using a smaller plate can help limit the volume of food you can fit. It can also help make smaller portions look larger and measure closer to recommended portion sizes. If you finished your plate and are still feeling hungry, wait 10 to 15 minutes before going back for seconds. These few minutes can provide the time needed for your body to tell you that you're full. Welcome back to Health Matter. Dr. Ned Hoke and Adam Lehman joined by Dr. Thomas Cowan in his wonderful new book called Human Heart, Cosmic Heart, A Doctor's Quest to Understand, Treat, and Prevent Cardiovascular Disease. Uh, Tom, give our, our listeners again one more time your website that goes with the book, if you would. Uh, humanheartcosmicheart.com. Okay, super. Well, now, I, we, we've just got a couple more minutes, and I wanted Adam to get a chance to, he had some questions in the area of the cosmic heart area to talk about some more of that. Is that true? Uh, <laughs> okay. Uh, well, you know, I got stuck. <laughs> okay, all right. Um, I, 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 just from what you were saying just before the break, I, I mean, the natural question is, where does anybody get G-strophanthin? It just seems like it's not really a, a, an available thing here. Is that true? Uh, so what we did, and, uh, you know, for whatever it's worth, this is how I decided to do this. So G-strophanthin is basically only made by one German pharmacy, which one cannot get that in the United States. It just they won't let it in. So the only other source of it was this company in Brazil run by an Austrian herbalist who has basically kind of perfected the technique of getting strophanthus gratis seeds, soaking them in alcohol, getting rid of some of the bitter principles, and bottling it. And we made a deal with him to, A, test it to make sure no contaminants, no, you know, aflatoxins, and that it has an appropriate amount of G-strophanthine in it, which it does. And so we just became the exclusive United States distributor of it. The reason I did that was because that allowed me then to, before this, anybody could buy it from him, and I just thought that's not the right way to do this. The right way to do it is for... Uh, me to talk about it, practitioners to contact me, then I talk to them about how to use it and tell them where to get information, and then they can purchase it from us and give it to the patients so that, A, there's some somebody working with these patients on it, and, B, then we can form a network of people, 
practitioners who are using it and can give each other feedback and help with what they're seeing and maybe write papers and I'm working on a lead on somebody who can help us with that. So we can actually, you know, acquire data and information and communicate with each other, maybe do a workshop or something. And so that's what we decided to do. So, so does that exist now? Yes. Oh, awesome. I'll be in touch. <laughs> well, so anybody who, who is any sort of healthcare practitioner, they can go to the website. They, or, well, right now, they call our office in San Francisco. They set up a consultation with me, which, you know, we don't charge for. And I just go over how to use it. And then we give them a code or we can, they can call the office and we, you know, send them the bottles, and they can use it with their patients. Awesome. Thank you. How, is this stuff expensive? Uh, not compared to a bypass. <laughs> right. 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 So, so to move into the cosmic heart uh, part, since we are coming to the end of the show a little bit here, um, a couple of things that you wrote in the book. One, one in particular that I just love is you say, we are coherent, electrically charged, superconducting, light-filled beings, and this foundation needs to be the basis of medicine, as well as of a healing process for all life on Earth. Disease, health, life, these are verbs, not nouns. Their dynamic process is a constant flux and flow of an interchange, and I don't know how we can effectively treat people until we begin to see things this way. Is that what I wrote? You wrote that. Oh, that's good. That's pretty good, right? <laughs> I like that. Do you want to comment further on that, or <laughs> just let it sit out there? I, I mean, like I said, you know, the more one looks, the more one finds these principles of biology, you know, it's like somebody made it up, and we all believe it, and then what happens is if you don't believe it, you know, I mean, I've literally been in, given talks in a, in a room of doctors, and if you say anything like that, like not even close to that level of, of whatever, you know, uh, just like there's some sort of consciousness in a cell or some some sort of benign comment. Literally, the doctors in one case in particular started all you know, like spontaneously went woo like that. Right. Yeah. And you think, I mean, I you think a lot of things, but my thought was, who are these people? Right. Well, so I, I can't help but think. They say they believe in science. So science is the belief in only the quantitative. If you can't be measured, it doesn't exist. Well, apparently they don't love their wife then, because I don't know if they think they can measure love, but I always think I should get their wife's phone number and say, <laughs> hey, you know, your, your husband, he doesn't believe in love. Well, you know, Tom, that was exactly what I was going to. That was where I was going next in my my mind when you started right. talking. I was going to say what your book does is you tell the story of the meeting your uh, your future wife in the uh, frozen yogurt line in Fair Oaks, California. That that would be a wonderful place to end the the conversation uh, because it it's it is it is so rich. It's a discovery and such a beautiful sort of statement of love. So say a little bit about that if you would. I mean, it's actually bringing tears to my eyes because 
she is the love and the light of my life. Right. And anybody who doesn't believe in, oh my God, there's something else out there, has never had that experience. Right. Because that experience of just looking at that person, I, I mean, it's, it's even hard for me to go on. Right, um, right. Because then you see what's happened since then. Not that everything has been, like, it's not that we never had a, a disagreement about anything, but when you see that experience and then you see the, this sort of incredible resonance that this person uh, that you share with this person. And what does that mean? It means this person is going to help you clear up your shit. That's what that means. Exactly. Which first of all means they're going to point it out to you. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. <laughs> because if it doesn't get pointed out, it's hard to clear up. And that's sometimes painful, which is why, you know, as, as exuberant as the initial encounter is, you confront yourself. You confront what it means to be a striving, seeking, spiritual human being in that, in that encounter. And I don't know how else to describe it. It's the most profound experience that anybody who just believes in, you know, material selves, whatever that means, right. just needs to get a life. Exactly. Well, there's, there's that famous line, I forget who, who first, I first coined it, medical pessimism. I think it was this, this, this fellow that was, a, what was his name? I can't remember. But anyway, it does seem to me that, that medical pessimism is, part, it, it's that we're all just kind of on a decline. As soon as we get, you know, we passed our youth period, then all we've got left pretty much is the way down. And so what you've showed, shared with us and you shared with our listeners and you share beautifully in the way you've written this book You've sh you've shown us another way, and we're so great, so very grateful that you took the time for us today and our listeners. And we thank you so much for taking the for being with us today. Well, I, I, I just want to finish by saying, uh, whatever good came out of this interview for people is 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 hugely uh, as a result of the the insight and the care and the the humanity with with which the two of you conducted this interview. Oh, and thank that's you so much. not always the case. Some people, like, they don't even read the book. <laughs> right. And, it, you know, there's nothing... There's a, it's good to be prepared, and it's good to think really deeply about what life is. And you two have obviously done that, and I, I appreciate your efforts. Great. Thank you, Tom. Yes, thank you so much. We hope to talk to you again. Okay. Bye-bye now. Cheers. Wow. That was as perfect as it could be. Yeah. I'm so, so grateful that you joined us today, uh, Adam, yeah. and we're part of this experience. And I'm grateful for it, your invitation and allowing me to do and so. I, and I, and I, as I was saying to Adam before, what I'm hoping we'll be able to do with some of this literature, and I actually asked the publisher of this book, I've asked this person, them to send us a few copies of this book so that I can share them with some of my other colleagues, and I want to spend a few minutes 
uh, during subsequent shows to talk about some of the elements of this book that we didn't get a chance to, to get into today. So maybe Adam will join me on that, or who, who knows. But you can look for ahead. But anyway, for those of you who are interested in being part of that conversation, if you'd be kind enough to send me an email at ksvyhealth at gmail.com. If you'd like to know when we're going to be talking more about this heart health matter and this the topic that we discussed today, please send me an email, and I'll try to get you on a list. So, uh, if you cannot pacify your uh, <clears throat> spirit and you let your mind be complicated with desires and worries, your disease will not be cured. To be healthy, you must avoid anger and worry, but keep your mind happy, your heart at ease, and your desires at low levels. That's the basic guidance of the Yellow Emperor's Classic of Internal Medicine, the basic book of Chinese medicine. Our Health Matters motto still is, healthcare is a noun. It's a verb. Tune us in again next week. Until then, I bid you well.